following message is being transmitted at the request of the Boundless Pod Trap Movie Review and the guys of the BPT. What you are about to hear contains spoilers to movies. If you don't want to hear these spoilers, please disengage your listening device at this time. If you can't handle those with a possible differing view on a movie, you may also want to disengage your listening device at this time. Stay tuned for a movie review that only the guys at the Boundless Pod Trap can give you. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Good morning, everybody. Did I just make you crap your pants, Lonnie? Wow, these headphones sound so much louder. Uh, that's they got batteries. Weird. They put batteries in the headphones. If you're wondering if these voices are, I mean, these are the voices from the Boundless Pod Trap. I remember you from that. I do too. I think it's weird that we're on another podcast together. We're very much more professional on this one. Yes. This is the BPT Movie Review, our inaugural episode. Boys, how excited are we? Welcome. Welcome. That that music was all. a little groovy, don't you think? Burp, I can get burp, into burp. it. I Slap it at base, man. If you check out the last actual pod trap podcast, uh, the music on that one was so much better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was, wow. I'm still a week later and I'm still laughing at that one. <laughs> No, this is uh, our movie review. Uh, It's not going to be as long as our other podcast. Um, This is going to be strictly talking about one movie the whole episode. Unless it's like a short film, then we might do one or two. But we're going to try to keep it to just one thing, just to give you guys a little bit of a nugget before the next podcast. Yeah, so now you get to not only hear our voices once every two weeks, you're going to hear it once a week. Yeah. Now this will... Aren't you lucky? Yeah, we're gonna make your britches wet with shit. What? What are britches? Yeah, and more shit. Britches. Your knockers. You're gonna shit on your bitches? Knickers. 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 He's wearing knickers. 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 So, yeah. Um, yeah, we. What better movie to start yeah. off our first? One of the one? best yeah. movies this, of all time. This is considered. We wanted to do one of what's considered the best movies. We had a handful of them, but we chose this one. I chose Porky's, but these fuckers just want to go along yeah. with me. <laughs> this movie in itself was probably uh, many people's number one favorite movie. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, the 1994 uh, movie, Quentin Tarantino's second feature that he wrote and directed, Pulp Fiction, starring John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Bruce Willis, Uma Thurman, I mean, it's actually like an all-star cast. I mean, even, even Harvey Keitel, yeah. Christopher Walken was even. I forgot that he was in it. Yeah, Phil Lamar, I really loved his part. Too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's Tim a Roth. lot of people. Which that's just one of the first things I want to like for Quentin Tarantino being somebody that didn't go to film school, who only had Reservoir Dogs before this. How did he get all these 
well-known actors and actresses to be in his movie. Well, you got to think he's been in the industry just because he wasn't really releasing movies. He was going to the Hollywood parties and he was trying to integrate himself in the scene for so long. He was dumping scripts on people for what probably years and years before one was finally picked up. Like he was integrated into the scene before people gave him a chance. So he, did he was it the that, hard way too. Yeah. So. I mean, Samuel L. Jackson said that when he read the script for the first time for Pulp Fiction, because he, he actually, Samuel L. Jackson auditioned for Reservoir Dogs, but didn't get the part. Right. And I think it was at Sundance Film Festival when they were premiering Reservoir Dogs. Uh, he went and talked to Quentin Tarantino, and, you know, Quentin Tarantino told him he had this part for him in this right. movie. And Originally, it was supposed to be the bar. Tender, the the one of the assistants of the main bad guy in this movie who's supposed to play Jules, but right. Eh. Well, before we get into that, like you know, let's uh first I'm gonna I'm gonna read you th- the synopsis of this movie for those of you that have not seen this movie. So, uh, two hitmen, Jules Winifield and Vincent Vega, work as hitmen for crime boss Marcellus Wallace. Wallace wants boxer Butch. Uh, well, I totally colleges. I don't know. Jordan I didn't really carry. I didn't really uh, pay attention to his last name, uh, but he Coolidge. wants boxer Butch. That's not Coolidge. It is Coolidge. Is it? Yeah. It's supposed to, especially when you see the match on the marquee. It's Coolidge versus uh, oh. what's his name, Floyd. Whatever. Well, anyways, bo- he wants boxer Butch Coolidge ass on a platter after he refused to throw a fight after taking Wallace's bribe money. Butch plans to flee the city, but can't leave his father's watch behind. Meanwhile, Vincent finds himself up Shit's Creek when Wallace has him babysit his wife, Mia, and she ODs on cocaine. Along the way, there's a robbery, a royale with cheese, and lots of murder. Some people redeem themselves, and some don't. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you real quick. She does not OD on cocaine. It's actually heroin. Heroin. She thinks well, it's cocaine. this she, synopsis came straight off she, of IMDb. She thinks it's yeah. cocaine, but it's actually heroin. Yeah. She her drug of choice is heroin. Or sorry, is cocaine. It's cocaine, so but it's actually it's the madman, heroin. Yeah, his Vincent Vincenzo's drug of choice is heroin. So yeah, I was going to play the audio uh, trailer for this. But there's so many fucking songs on it that we would have got flagged in like two seconds. Big time, yeah. So uh, that's what you get. That's straight off of IMDb. So any uh, false information that's on is them. from them. Fuck yeah. IMDb. So before we get into it too, this is the first thing that we're going to do. We're going to go around the table here and we're all going to give our rating for this movie. Now it's going to be a one through ten rating. One means the movie absolutely sucked ass. Uh, five is it's a pretty mediocre movie. It's it did what it was supposed to do, and ten means it's just something incredible. So uh, let's start with you, Lonnie. So pre-watching it for this podcast, I would have gave it a solid nine out of ten. Watching it for this podcast and really dissecting it, I probably would give it a seven. Justin, God damn, this movie was a pretty good milkshake. I gotta say God that. Damn. <laughs> no, it's maybe um, not a five dollar milkshake. <laughs> if that was your Samuel L. Jackson impression, you need to work on it. It, it wasn't. No, it no. was not. It, it was. It was a jewel, or not jewels. It was the Vincent. It was Vegas, but it wasn't an. Yeah. Anyways, um, it was a Vega line, but anyways, uh, I would give this a ten. 
I, I have to really yeah you're going off right because off the bat it is with a strong. wow uh, be, for its time for its efforts for what they did with everything like it's it kind of pretty much has everything I think like th- at least that, that that suits me it's got you know the 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 dialogue is well written the interactions the gunplay the angles the very concise detail that I pulled apart in all this, like I have to give it a 10 for what it was. Oh, wow. It holds up. I think so. You know, like I said, this is probably my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. It's, it's up there as a good movie. I'm not going to go quite as high as uh, you did with it, but I'm around the same thing with mine. I'm giving it a 7.5 just because uh, it's great. There are some moments in it where it's just like, I feel like with a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies, the scene drags out a little too long yeah. and it could be a little bit shorter, but uh, like I agree with you, it, it has everything in this movie. Some of those yeah. uncomfortable scenes I think are highly necessary. Two scenes well, in particular, which yeah. we'll get into, yeah. But this is an easy favorite. It's I keep this on the, the nightstand by the table on the kangaroo of my mind. Okay, well, <laughs> we're uh, the first thing I want to talk about actually is something that you mentioned, Justin, the dialogue. Ugh. Tarantino movies are very easy to pick out with the dialogue. To me, yeah. they're so they're realistic. The conversation that the people are having is not like it's. I, I feel like it's a camera was set up on a tripod and they're just two people talking like they really would. Right. right? And I want to like to see the script to some of this. Yeah. How much of this is like you know feel your character and then just go with it. Type right. Of hit it's, these points and it's yeah. almost like a, you have it an A and a B and it's like fill in the gap. It's right. like here's your start, here's your finish. You decide how you're going to get there. You can tell what a Quentin movie yeah. is. You can tell what a Kevin Smith movie is. Like the dialogues are them embodied. Yeah, especially like in the scene and I'm sure we'll get into it, but the overdose scene, like the dialogue between the characters when they're looking for the the medical book and it's so it seems like such a panicked organic conversation where like if that's his script he wrote like it was so like panicked like that can't be an actual written down script because no one would no one could write that down and no one could practice that like if you were given that script like a this your responses huh and then this is what you have to respond to like no i that didn't feel like a natural huh like well, even the mannerisms that people do when they're delivering their lines seem natural. Right. And I think what that is, is, you know, I, I watch a lot of videos like on YouTube of Tarantino giving advice. Right. And, you know, he, he also talks about how he does things and he likes to write. And like me, he likes to write pen to paper. He doesn't like typing. Right. And he does a lot of what he says is where he writes so many pages of like a character like their traits things that they do like mannerisms and stuff like that and he's like the stuff will never see the, the light of day the right? light yeah. of day but if it helps for the actor for like sure. john travolta he go he gives him that he goes over all that stuff with them and i think i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that to me this is probably john travolta's best role that he's ever played um besides I, danny zuko <laughs> <laughs> right the one thing i will say about this movie is this is probably Quentin Tarantino's laziest movie he did. 
Really? You think so? Yes. Why do you say that? There are so many continuity errors in this movie of a larger budget movie that I have ever seen. Give and an I, example. The, uh, I can give you a handful of examples. The only ones I, I was in. only have an hour, an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> right. So I'll, I'll throw a couple of them. The robbery scene between Honey Bunny and Pumpkin. Which, by the way, the best names to be credited for in a movie right. ever. They I are, would say there's one person in that who got a better credit. The manager, he's known as the coffee shop. <laughs> right. Because when he gets the gun to himself, he's like, I'm just a coffee shop. <laughs> just a coffee and they, shop. They, <laughs> um, so her, so, so Honey Bunny's line is different uh, the two the two times. Like the first time is different than the second time. It's two hours I, removed I, though, so I feel yeah. like that was done on purpose. Like I don't think why that would was it be left. done on purpose though? Because it's, that's Quentin Tarantino for you. Yeah. You're okay. getting a different perspective. Maybe they heard it differently. No, well, she. It's literally the same line. Let me give him credit where credit's not no, due. There's <laughs> no. Yeah. Um. The the when they're in Brad's apartment when uh right before the guy comes out of the bathroom to shoot them the bullet holes the already bullet holes in the background behind yeah. Yeah. when they shoot. Brad, the first time, Samuel L. Jackson's gun is clearly out of rounds because his gun discharges. And you can see if you know firearms, you know when a handgun There's is. also two consecutive shots, and you only see one when right. the guy takes the, the hit. Right. You, and you clearly know when a handgun is out of ammunition because the the cylinder or the top mechanic of the gun stays loaded, or, or stays loaded and you can tell from the the cylinder on the front of the handgun and they shoot him probably at least 10 to 12 rounds but on the second time they come through maybe four to five rounds in the chest and his gun is not discharged at all well see somebody like me that's stupid and knows shit about guns i would have never caught on to right that. well and just the fact that they only discharge four rounds opposed to 15 rounds. There's just little continuity errors like that, that watching it from an outside perspective and just being like, I love this movie. That's why it went from a nine to a seven to me. Now I'm having to watch it with eyes of someone who's trying to dissect the movie. Oh, I notice these little things and realize how lazy it is. This is how, how long is this movie? Two and a half two, hours. Two twenty five. Yeah. Yeah. Just almost two and a half hours. It took me maybe six <laughs> About six hours just to watch it because of how analytical I was trying to, you know, utilizing certain translations and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, well, okay, that can mean this. And yeah, right. but yeah, I, I wrote something up I wanted to um, read real quick. It's a, pretty much about Quentin Tarantino. Like you can tell a Quentin Tarantino film is it, it, because it's very distinctive. Um, Pulp Fiction in particular from the style, from the setting, the props, the shots, the intentions, uh, Tarantino's writing takes a play on the mundane and the extreme. Uh, scenes are set up often in parallel to antagonists and protagonists. It can go from dull to drilling, minimal to maximal, monotonous to momentous, prosaic to paramount. He walks this tightrope with time and illustrates just enough to keep you satisfied with the full resolution until the very end, filling in the missing pieces. All in all, I think this movie is pretty much about redemption and also about not taking life too seriously. I think you know, one thing about Quentin Tarantino is I don't know that he really has, like, true meaning behind his movies. A lot of, I think he likes to leave it up to the viewer. Oh, yeah. Because they've, they've interviewed him, asked him a lot of questions on, like, a lot of his movies about, well, what does it actually mean? And he won't give his meaning behind it because he's just like, I like, if the viewer then loses anything that they've. Yeah, if they like, build it up higher than what it is, and, it's like, well, 
run on that. Yeah, because he's like, I, the, they might have thought of it this way, but then if I say this is what I was trying to convey, then everything they thought of is out yeah. the window, and that's all they know. Specifically he's like, with what's yeah. in the box. Exactly. Yeah. That's one of the most thought-intriguing things about the movie is the what's briefcase. in the suitcase. Yeah. yeah, or in the briefcase, yeah. What's you, with you diagnosing or analyzing the movie so much, in your opinion, what's in the suitcase? Because I know what certain accidents happened ahead of time. I still think it's the soul. Of... You think it's more Marcel's Wallace's soul? Yeah. I think, I personally, and this is a connection that I put together, I think it's the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs because Vince Vega and um, Vic Vega, brothers, um, Vic Vega being Mr. Blonde from Reservoir Dogs, is Vincent Vega's brother. Right, which was supposed to be the same character. He was supposed to play... Uh, Travolta's part, right? But, you yeah. say that, and I 100% agree with that. Right? Thank you, you saying that because my, my thing was it was Gold Member's penis from Austin Powers. <laughs> <Gold>. <laughs> That's but, a shiny one. But when, whenever, like it does it with with Butch, it does it with with Pumpkin, it does it with uh, Jules. Anyone who opens it and sees it, they like almost are transcended right. to a different realm. So the soul makes sense. Like what it like is. Like they've seen something they've never seen before. It's like you've seen diamonds and stuff like oh, that. Right. Like, but yeah, it could be like a, a lot of it. They could. Some people even speculate that it's even like Spider-Man's number one comic. You know, it's like <laughs> I don't know where'd you put that. Yeah. Where'd you get that yeah, from? I don't know. <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant, or just something like the Holy Grail. Now, now we go back to like his his the conversation, the dialogue. One scene in particular, which we do have an audio clip of, is in the car between. Uh, Vincent and Jules, you know, about the Royale with cheese and stuff. Like, right. that dialogue has nothing to do with anything in the movie. Right. But it's so captivating, and it's just, I don't know. That's kind it, of what I was going about. Like, he's talking about, like, mundane stuff, and then immediately into, like, extremity. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, well, let's go ahead and play that audio clip real quick. What do they call a, a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? I mean, they got the metric system. They wouldn't know what the fuck a quarter pounder is. And what do they call it? They call it Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. That's right. What do they call a Big Mac? Big Mac's a Big Mac, but they call it Le Big Mac. Le Big Mac. And I guarantee everybody that went to that movie theater when they were walking out there was like, Royale with cheese. It, and that's something that still sticks to this day. Right. People always say that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that nothing to do with the movie. Right. Such a throwaway line. I never got like, a it. It means with nothing. Cheese. Yeah. A few times I went to Amsterdam. And you know what's funny is the when they're in Brad's apartment and he and Jules is doing that like intimidation thing where he's eating his burger, he's drinking his soda. It's such an intimidating gesture. But all that is such like removable dialogue like any other director or producer would be like throw this away let's turn this two and a half hour movie into a two hour and 20 minute movie exactly but that is such an intimidating gesture why not leave it in like that's just showing your dominance and it shows jewels in the background like searching and getting more and more irritated and i think that's one of the bigger roles um for sam jackson sam l i've got to give him his l <laughs> But uh, they were talking about how when they, when he read for it, he came to you know, uh, he bought some fast food or whatever and ate his his food while he was reading for the script or whatever. They're like, they uh, one of the 
uh, editors, one of the guys working on the film, pretty much miscredited him. They're like, I love your work, Fishborn. And, you know, it's like, (laughs) (laughs) that's one thing you don't do. So he was kind of like a little disgruntled or something like that, but he had a domineering presence. And so he used that. Well, he uses that pretty much with everything. Right. But yeah. Well, and something else that you touched on that was on my list here too are, I've always said this about Quentin Tarantino, and I'm, I'm going to kind of talk a little bit off topic of Tarantino, but go film school. You know, me being an inspiring filmmaker, I didn't go to film school. I've never really had any desire to go to film school. I know a lot of people that did go to film school. You lied to just, us? Yeah. And it's just, I've seen you know, school. it's not that it's wrong or anything, but it's like people that go to film school are all being taught the exact same thing. And that's why box. there's a lot of movies out there and I mean a lot of movies out there that feel like the same thing. Like it's just, you go to the movie and you, it's the the same camera angles, the same cuts, everything is just, it's, it's film school. It's what you were taught and you learned in the books. Now, Tarantino, on the other hand, he did not go to film school. So he is self-taught, right. you know, he probably went on other sets and learned things and especially things like maybe not what to do and whatnot. But that's why when you look at a Tarantino movie, if you didn't even see the credits, if you weren't even told it was a Tarantino movie, if you were sat down and you watched five movies and you were told to pick out Tarantino one with in, in, in just like the first five minutes of a movie, right? you would be able to tell because dialogue and camera angles. And what's what I want to talk about are the angles that he oh, yeah. does because there there's a lot of long, unnecessarily long there's a few creative shots I want yeah. to touch on later too. Right, yeah. But like, you know that that shot when they first go to the apartment, uh, Vincent and Jules, and it's just like it's not time yet. And it's one long shot of them going up there. They're, the camera's behind them at the door. Or the camera's on their backs and you see the door. And they have a little bit of unnecessary dialogue in. And it's like, eh, it's not time yet. And then follows them down the hallway and and the camera doesn't move it just pans it and they yeah. go into another part of the hallway and have this long conversation and then they come back to the door and it's just like that with anybody else would have been like probably yeah. like 12 different setups and different angles and stuff and it's like you know some people can do it some people can't do it tarantino he is his angles are weird but they're perfect right. and he He's got that slap stick type, like a spaghetti Western, like, you know, his film type of thing. And, and yeah, mm-hmm. it works so well. Now, but, I, I feel like with a lot of his new pictures, like he's kind of lost some of that. Like I can he agree. started getting a little bit more Hollywood, like his dialogue is still kind of there. Um, I think a lot of that is probably play to the fact that he has more of a budget and he's trying to take different, you know, he well, probably has other people working. Well, yeah, that and he has a lot more a lot more people telling him more yeah. what to do like I also he, can't a lot tell. more production companies saying hey we're, we're putting a lot of money into this and he's working like now that he's working with Brad Pitt and he's working with Leonardo DiCaprio and well, he he's working with named actors who maybe you're probably giving him more input than you know Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson did back in the day, and John Travolta, who are like, whatever, it's your movie. We're just making a paycheck because this movie was made on what an eight million dollar budget, or or eighty. I mean, eighty to eight is a fantastically large difference. But yeah, um, I think it was here. I got. I'll pull it up here. Well, while you're doing that, I will. I will. I think his latest film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think that's his worst film. 
I, don't, I haven't seen that. I, I haven't seen like his last it. two. I, I think get on board. that one, I will, it's kind of contradicting with what I just said. Eight million. Eight million dollar budget. Well, but like once, it's contradicting what I said. Once upon a time in Hollywood had a lot of long, unnecessary scenes. Like there, there were, there was one scene between Leonardo DiCaprio's character and this little girl where they're on the set of a movie and they're going over dialogue. And it was like, to me, it felt like it was like an eight minute long right. camera angle. And it, I was just bored with it. And I think it is, I think Tarantino has more people in his ears now. Right. And, um, I don't want to necessarily say he's selling out, but no. I think he's probably kind of giving in a little bit more than he used to. Yeah, I don't know how much he operates the camera. I when back then I'm, that was his main focus. I would assume. Well, he, I don't, he doesn't. He doesn't really operate the camera. He always. One of the things he said is that he is literally right. He doesn't watch on a monitor. Right. He is literally right on the shoulder of the cinematographer because he's like, it's like the actors are acting for you. It's like your own personal play. And it's like, wow, that's actually like true. Like, you know, he, he trusts his cinematographer enough to know that he's framing it correctly. Like, yeah. I'm sure Tarantino has his input, but for him, I think Tarantino is just watching the, the movements and the action and dialogue and not really caring about the frame whatnot but yeah eight million you say yeah eight million dollar budget it ended up grossing its opening weekend like most you know cult classic movies a pathetic you know nine million nine point three million its opening weekend so it made its money back opening weekend but cumulated worldwide now it's 213 million so it made its money back in full it's pretty much an instant cult classic absolutely yeah. yeah We and we talk about this movie, and we've kind of already did it about, you know, the amazing people in it: Samuel L. Jackson, John Travolta, uh, Uma Thurman. But you think about the other people who were in this movie, like Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Phil Lamar, Bruce Willis, of course, Christopher Walken, Christopher Walken, Rames. I totally Tim forgot Rames. about Christopher Walken until yeah. that flashback scene of his, Butch as a kid. And I'm like, yeah, wow, his, his Anna Arquette. Yeah. Um, I'm just going through the names here. That what's her pop- name? Uh, isn't uh, oh, what is Steve Buscemi, Catherine, Ka- um, Kathy Griffin. Yes, yeah. that's who I was yeah. thinking of. Like that man, Randy. She over. has <laughs> the shortest <laughs> line in it, and it's like yeah, and she's credited as Kathy Griffin. Yeah. Huh. I mean, there's a lot. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of people in it, and it's like that's, and like yeah, Grant. He was in the the film industry for a little bit there but it's like for this being his second film i i mean yeah that's that to me wouldn't that that would make me very um unnerving as the director because it's like you love making movies and you love working with new people and i mean nothing reservoir dogs had a pretty all-star cast too yeah but i mean that's a lot of of pressure they were made too yeah i mean i wonder if he ever I don't get this vibe from Tarantino, but I wonder if he ever felt like he was not good enough to be directing with all these people. I bet he went in there. Like, I get the vibe from Tarantino, like, especially with him acting in it. He's got to go in with such a chip on his shoulder that, like, I did it. I'm good enough to be here. You're in my movie. Yeah, he actually dropped down from the character he wanted to play. He wanted to play Lance, but instead he filled the part of Jimmy. Because he wanted to also film the OD scene, or at least the 
the the yeah. syringe yeah. scene. Well, uh, one thing I do know is that Tarantino is open for people's input. An example, I mean, I'm sure he's not like everything, but like an example would be uh, when um, Vincent shoots um, the guy in the face in the car. Philomar. He was uh, supposed to, I forget what the line was, but he's just like, I oh, went yeah. to Tarantino and he's like, I can Maybe. I just say, oh man, I shot Vincent in the face. And Tarantino's like, sure, if you want to. And he's like, you know, in my mind, I knew that I was going to say it like, oh man, I just stepped on his toe type of thing. Like he's like, I was going to add the humor. And I mean, and that's one of the things like that you kind of remember. And it was humorous. It's like he shoots him blood everywhere. And he's like, oh man, I shot him in the face. I mean, oh, that's, yeah. that's what, um, well, Phil Lamar's was the one who kind of like pitched that too. Cause he was supposed to get shot in the stomach and Phil's like, well, I'm going to die anyway. Why don't you, would it be funnier if he just took me out in the face? You know, so Quentin was like, yeah, let's roll with that. Yeah. Oh man, I shot him off in the face. <laughs> that in that whole scene, like Jimmy's performance, like Quentin Tarantino's performance is Jimmy, and then Harvey Keitel's performance is the wolf. Like that whole segment was so on par. Oh, yeah. And like seeing Samuel L. Jackson as like the like you need to to wise up and like know who you're dealing with. And then seeing Travolta's like kind of smarmy ass, like teenager, like I don't respect anybody, but yet still respecting them like that. I want to be rebellious, but I still know who I'm dealing with kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Like that dynamic was so great. It just makes you like, don't fuck with Harvey Keitel. Like he's film legend and knowing Harvey Keitel plays that one person. Like you've seen him as Mr. White okay. and knowing that role and then him just coming in as the wolf. He's like basically the same. I don't think guy. anybody else could have played the wolf. Absolutely like, not. That, no. And and that's not just saying, cause I saw him. That's what you've seen on film, but I really don't think anybody else could have filled those shoes no. and played it. I think the movie was perfectly cast. Like that's one thing about this movie. It was perfectly cast. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, kind of I guess getting breaking into it like there's there's no doubt that Marcellus he is pretty much like the the leader of his own domain uh kind of like the overseer so right. he he is the king I kind of seen him as like the the satan the lucifer character in this um so he has like Vincent and Jules on retainer so they are like his knights right um they serve his cause it, and the significance one of the things that I noticed first off was like Vincent Vega and Jules Winfield, their name means the same thing. They are the, the same name. So Winfield, Jules is surname, uh, and or let's just do Vincent. Vincent is from the Italian vincere, means to win, and Vega means plain or field. So in Spanish, both Jules and Vincent mean win field. They're winning the field for Marcellus as the knights. Did that seem like a stretch to you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I said no, that. No, we talked about this earlier, uh, and he was like, I got some theories. They're deep, but they're theories. I'm like, that's okay. what he's for, for these. Like, is, okay, I get that. I just look at it, like I said, this is three different lo- outlooks. Like, you you really break down the movie yeah, and stuff. I get real nitpicky. <laughs> he, Justin comes up with the meetings and stuff like that. And I just watched the movie for the watching the movie and more of the directing technical part of the movie, yeah. not necessarily the movie itself. So no, that's interesting. What I also oh. liked is all right, if we're going to go from start to finish here. So starting off, it actually finishes how it starts. So 
That's how my sex life works. <laughs> you, you start off with like the the Bonnie and Clyde characters of Bunny and Pumpkin, Honey Bunny and Pumpkin, yeah. and the first sound you hear is the motorcycle going across, which and butch. butch is leaving. So, I liked that that full circle closing. With that. Well, and that's the thing about this movie is it's all over the fucking place, and for somebody that their first time watching it, like me, my first time watching it. I was confused a little bit and stuff like that with some of the things, but yeah. And I don't know if that's something, do you guys like movies like that, that are kind of, you start here, here then you go there and then you go back here and then you're up, jump up here. And if it's told good enough. Yeah. And that's what I was, that's what I kind of what I was saying in towards my intro is like, he gives you bits and pieces here and there that are satisfying. Yeah. And so when he comes back and, and puts the pin in it, it's like, Oh shit. Oh yeah. fuck. Yeah, that's how it goes. Multi-watch movies are enjoyable if they're right. done right. Yeah. And this is one of the ones that follows three stories. You're following, you know, Vincent pretty much at the beginning, then it goes to Butch, and then it finishes off Samuel Jackson's character, Jules. Well, that can't that can't be right then. Like that theory can't be right. The motorcycle leaving then, because Butch kills kills Vincent. Vincent yeah, and then that, leaves. Yeah, I guess that kind of falls apart right there, unless it's a. Uh, a passerby because he doesn't go by the when he leaves he's leaving he's leaving with um he's leaving Vincetta. with Fabian or Fabian Fabian yeah, yeah Vincetta he, was the 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 cab driver because he Butch doesn't get the motorcycle until Esmeralda after he yeah kills after he kills uh, Zed Esmeralda's the cab driver yeah yeah that's another one I want to get into that too yeah yeah he doesn't get the motorcycle till after he leaves to go home and then hits. Marcellus, which that's just that's that like the ultimate awesome because fuck you. like how in all the places in all the world that's the street this this section of the street he's crossing right in front of like Butch in and, the ghetto of of Los Angeles that, that the li- richest man in the city that line right before motherfucker <laughs> boom uh, I liked that that was very symbolic because he just got his watch at that time. He walked through the gates, you know, kind of constantly looking over his shoulder, thinking he's in the clear, you know, the the birds and the wind or whatever song comes on, and, you know, he's all happy and kosher and about ready to make his run, and right in front of him, the first crossroads, he said, you know, the first stoplight, he sees the main, the big baddie. There's a, a action figure statue of, of that where he's standing there with his donut box and coffee <laughs> i want to get it so bad but it's expensive like kingpin gets his own fucking donuts and coffee That's you gotta love good what you point do. actually you gotta love what i you mean do. he should he definitely has people that would do that for him right but but i guess if you're the biggest mob boss in la you wouldn't want other people getting your donuts and coffee because those, those fuckers are gonna try to to poison you and kill yeah, you true i um Go to get donuts say, and coffee and get raped by a gimp? Like, what the fuck? What a terrible day. That's a, that's a crappy morning. <laughs> right? Get fucking hit by a little white dude in a, in a, in a little Honda. Get raped by a gimp. You know, and there's a little a little thing that happens in that scene that other directors wouldn't even think about. Tarantino did, and it's more real. And it was kind of like, not that it turned my stomach, but it was like, ooh. But, like, when after he... Butch crashes the car after hitting Marcellus, and then Marcellus gets up, and the people, Kathy Griffin's like, all right, if you need a lawyer or whatever. 
but he goes to shoot at Bruce Willis, but he hits, hits the lady chick. that's helping him, some right. random lady, in and the, she's like, ah! Oh, in just the fall. thigh, Like, yeah. that's just like, oh, my God. What like, happened that's, to her? That's real. Right. I mean, it, most people, that's one thing about movies I hate, is that people always hit their target. And it's like, you know, that wouldn't happen in real life. They have to, they're bound to miss, especially after getting hit by a car, you're yeah. a little off balance and it's like discombobulated just whatever, boom yeah. he shoots this lady and she sold it very good like right. her screaming was like very real it's like oh my god so i didn't ever get a conclusion with her like is she okay yeah, no. you, know, you know what the whole the funniest thing about that whole thing is butch hit him as probably as hard as he could with that little fucking car and he got more fucked up than yeah. Morzell's Wallace did. Stupid European cars. Right? Mm. He's all fucked up. He's a boxer and his face is all fucked up and Wallace gets up after having to deal with Kathy Griffin, brushes himself off. He's like, motherfucker. <laughs> He's got the good end of the deal, I guess. And then they're in the, <laughs> they're in the fucking pawn shop and the guy's like, get up here and he fucking pistol whips him with a, with a shotgun. What type of fucking boxer goes down with one shot? That's a blunt. From a shotgun. That's a blunt instrument. I don't. Not care. a padded instrument. <laughs> what a weak chin, motherfucker. Better question: Who would want to be a boxer for a living? And just your job is to get punched. Right. Uh, yeah. And, I, by the way, who fucking has a fight fix? Wins all this money and decides to retire in fucking Knoxville, Tennessee. He does. Butch. He didn't decide it. At you know. He's like, a, we got all this money. Let's go to fucking Knoxville. <laughs> Whoopty fucking do. There's a turn of a great aspirations, bro. Uh, but so yeah, no, yeah. no hate to Knoxville. If you're listening to this, one of our two listeners, and you live in Knoxville, they Knoxville's don't. a great they city. Don't. Just set your aspirations higher. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, starting off like the nonchalantness of pretty much the characters getting into their stuff. And then they, they foreshadow the turn of events uh, that just about to take place. So you have, like, the nice couple in the dining room or the diner, you know, about to rob things for, like, the first four minutes before they turn it up to the max. And they're on the tables yelling. You also They do it again with the introduction with uh, Vincent Vega and Jules Winfield's character while they're pretty much having their banter in the car before they line up at the, uh, the apartment. And Jules, at that time, he gives that warning, which is a good foreshadowing about Mia's character, how Vince, or Marcellus Wallace, the wife of, or sorry, the, the husband, the, the main baddie here, the Mia Wallace is the wife, he pretty much roughed up a Samoan dude real good because of a foot massage. So that kind of rung in Vincent Vega's head pretty much the entire time. Like, how far can he go before it's too much? And what is she going to say you know, because it's pretty much her word against him. Marcellus Wallace doesn't like to get fucked by anybody else but Mrs. Wallace. But Mrs. And Wallace. And that comes Except back around Except for in the end. <laughs> oh, no, he didn't like it. Um, speaking of, of Vince Vega and uh, Mrs. Wallace, uh, when they go to Jackrabbit Slims to, uh, to have their date and their meal, an interaction happens with Steve Buscemi and a, a $5 milkshake. And I will get your gentleman's opinion. Martin and Lewis or Amos and Andy? Yeah. Which one? Uh, I would have to go to with. Oh man, that's you can't. That's a you racist question. You have no question. idea what you. What that's I'm a racist like, question. It, it's what, a, what about it's you? Vanilla, I have no idea what you're even asking. Vanilla no? or chocolate? Vanilla or chocolate? Oh. That's I what have to go with what, Martin. That's Lewis. what they're implying with the Amos and Andy or Martin and Lewis. Okay. That's the the theme of it. Martin and Lewis, a couple of white guys. Amos and Andy, a couple of black guys. That's the, the the joke of that question. Oh. And a lot of people didn't get that until I, it came out, other than 
Quentin Tarantino's actors dropping the N-word every five fucking sentences. Yeah. That was the other racist joke in the movie that people were like, oh, maybe you should have cut that out. But yeah. <laughs> uh, Martin Lewis, a little bit. A- Amos and Andy, Amos and Andy 100%. I got to go with Lewis. You got Martin, Lu- Lewis. Martin Lewis? I'm not a big chocolate fan when it comes to ice cream, especially right. milkshakes. I would love strawberry. to strawberry. I would love to pay five dollars for a milkshake at this fucking point in life. That's um you will with your stimulus. <laughs> Get that stimulus. Sweet, sweet uh, stimulus, buddy. It's uh, coming. Speaking of food, the big kahuna burger. Yeah. That's pretty much mentioned in most it's mentioned mentioned. Sorry. And from Dust Till Dawn, it's in Reservoir Dogs. Yep. It's in this one, Four Rooms, Death Proof. Yep. And I think there's one more, but I didn't get that one down. You know what else is mentioned in quite quite a few of his first movies is K-Billy's Sounds of the 70s. Really? Yeah. It's in quite a few of the first movies. See, I just need to start watching all of his movies from start to end again. It's been a, been you a just while. Really, you can't watch them to watch them. You got to watch them and be like bird dogging them because yeah. they're very hidden in a lot of places. It's like the Starbucks cup and and I almost called it Pit Fighter Fight Club. So I'm going to ask you guys this question. No. Okay. Okay. Uh, do you guys think? Not if I don't have to. Quentin Tarantino has a foot fetish. I th- I want to say he toys with the idea. I don't know if he himself has one. It, it I mean, does come up a lot because the, the the giving her a foot massage. Uh, From dusk till dawn, her putting her foot in her oh, yeah. mouth. I, the the part I, I'm talking just Pulp Fiction. Um, you know, there's uh, when Mia and them are dancing and stuff like that. She takes her shoes off. There's a time at her place when Vincent goes to pick her up, where there's tight shots of her feet. And then the one that was it's it's like a quick quick one is the cab. When Butch gets in the cab, the female cab driver is barefoot, oh, stepping yeah, on watching. the gas. And the, that, the sh- and I think she no, I don't think she has her feet up when he's when she's waiting for him in the toll booth. Is it just a cigarette? I forget. No, but there have been people that say he's got a foot fetish, and I'm thinking that he does. I think and, and, for this movie, he's he's still trying to ingrain the danger of the foot massage. What happened with uh, uh, the Samoan dude? Oh, okay. just trying Antoine. to trying to bring it back, like trying to put that image in your head. I guess Antoine Walker Moore or something like that. But that doesn't explain the cab driver. Well, it's her. just maybe it's just an image to like keep reminding you. It of shows that. you like you're seeing a foot and you're remembering. You're stepping on the, the speed, things are moving. But why would she? Be, why you're not supposed to drive barefoot? She's a female. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Even in that thing, you ever get in a cab driver and it just has a stank to it? Yeah, that's yeah. called. So close the that's, door. You're letting all the stank out. Wow. <laughs> so, anyways, that's all, I only said it because it was true. My happened. One of my biggest factors, which putting Marcellus Wallace as the Satan figure and also putting the soul in the briefcase, is because the first introduction to Marcellus Wallace, you know, well, it's his voice talking to Bush, uh, but you see the back of his head, the band aid, and it's common legend that you remove somebody's soul from, you know, the back of their head. And the combination on the briefcase is 666. So that's where I was going with that. I would have never in a million years <laughs> thought of something like that. You come up with these on your own, or do you have help that's, from the internets? You feel that sting? That's pride leaving your body. Yeah. And he, pride is a deadly sin. So, And he's one who's kind of going against the grain. Fuck pride. That, uh, in that scene when he's talking to Butch, 
that is one of the more impressive angles. Not really impressive, but impressive for the the telling of the story. When Butch goes to the bar, he oh, asks for him the, yeah, yeah the jewel. Or he asks for the, a yeah. pack of reds. So that also kind of goes into like the the drug of choice type of thing. So Butch's drug of choice is just cigarettes, straight and narrow. You know, so and that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to clean up and walk the straight and narrow. So he has like a little back and forth with Vincent Vega. You know, v- Vincent Vega pretty much calls him a palooka, and which means like one who kind of throws the match, uh, uh, somebody who's going to take the fall type of thing. He kind of knows. You know, uh, Marcellus Wallace probably does this with a lot of boxers. Just yeah, to, he calls him punchy. You know, he's he's a betting man. So he already knows he's a he's a boxer. He's a popular guy. He's been on marquees and stuff, but the. He just had the lecture of, you know, that that pride that you're going to feel type of thing. He just called him, like, you're my man, you're my main man, you, you know, type of thing. And he goes to the bar, and then he calls Vincent Vega over, and he gives Vincent Vega two hugs. And it does this little thing, the camera angle, where it kind of follows. It does pretty much a, a, a spin, and that's the turn of events that Butch is about to take. He pretty much made his decision right there that – Shit is probably not going to go as as planned. He just saw like he is not his main man type of thing, and yeah, I thought that 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 turn, that twist of the camera angle, following his his kind of head moving around, like what the hell is this? I thought that was very creative. Wow, see that one might be a stretch. Oh. I think that one is a little bit more closely related because I, it says I, a lot. I kind of agree with Justin. <laughs> I, I I definitely kind of. That well, makes a little sense. Well, his explanation why he throws the fight is because word got out that well, it was there his was first fixing. It was his first consideration, I would have said. Right. Kind of like the setting up before things start falling down. It's like, right. He's well, yeah, his his explanation of why he threw the fight was there was the fix-in, and word got out, so the betting on him went through the roof. Right. So he bet on himself to... When he... Well, right before that, when that thing turns around... He gives the, the bartender gives him his cigarettes, right? And it, he ordered a pack of red apples. And right. in biblical knowledge, apple the apple forbid, means knowledge. The forbidden fruit. Yeah. yeah. You know, once you eat the forbidden fruit, you have that knowledge. And he was obtaining that as he did that spin around. Man, I I don't know how you can watch. <laughs> I could not watch movies like you. Like if if I. If I looked for all these meanings, man, I mean, it's great hearing it from you. Like I enjoy it, but like me myself, I could not, right. <laughs> I could not like, like, oh, that means this, that means that, that's what this means. But yeah, like hearing you explain, I mean, that makes complete sense to me, and it's right. and it seems like something that Tarantino would have taken into consideration mm-hmm. writing. Right. Oh, that's what I say. Like the the focus of detail, especially like with the names and stuff. Vincent Vega, and I'll just go straight into the other one here. So. Uh, Winston Wolf. Winston means Victory Town. And yeah, Victory Town Wolf. Esmeralda via Lobos. Lobo means wolf. Via means village or town. So she is also the town wolf. The the one who pretty much comes up. She is the female fix it and he is the female fix it on, on both extremes. She is for Butch and he is for you know Marcellus and crew. Yeah. Oh cool. Go ahead. Lonnie, do you have anything um, to add to that? The, I don't have nothing to add to that. Um, the only one I had is uh, I did uh, 
so for Christopher Walken, it, nothing compared to what you're saying at all. But the Christopher Walken scene where it's one of my favorite scenes where 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 he's given the line to Butch, um, it has a lot to do with Christopher Walken's dialect and that famous Christopher Walken style of speaking. Did you know that's not on purpose? His dialect, English is not his first language. He's actually Welsh. He is a is a, a Scottish immigrant. So couldn't tell. <laughs> so like his that's how he learned to speak English. That's just the way like he has to speak the language. It's how he processed the English language. So that's how Christopher Walken speaks English. He has no other way of speaking English. So when he's doing he the Christopher well, Walken voice, he can try to do it like this. That's just that's how he <laughs> speaks. It's not him doing like trying to be noticed. That's Your just his voice. He gave me this watch, and I put <laughs> it. He put it up his asshole. In his ass. <laughs> that was. I think that yeah, that was probably one of my the honorable gold watch scene. Probably. It, it held deep for me all the way up to the end. Deep in like, my ass. Like, that, that part of the movie made me hate Little Butch so much when he just fucking grabbed the watch. Like, no remorse, no thank you at all. Just like, uh. Well, he just heard that it was put in two people's asses. Maybe three. Because his great-grandfather, or his grandfather, or whatever, might have had. I have this piece of paper that shows where the anus is. <laughs> <laughs> you do. It's framed. Uh, you didn't have to frame it. See BPT episode 18 for... Info. Boundless pod trap episode eighteen. So if there is a Satan character in this, you know, me and Marcellus Wallace, my idea of the Jesus character would be Lance. Because he has the sandals, he has the robe, he has the long hair, and so he's the drug dealer. He's giving people he, he starts off one of his introductions is giving the people the the three drugs there. So he has the panda, which was from Mexico. He has the baba, and then he also has choco from the Germany, the the Hearts Mountains. Um, panda from Mexico. Panda is pretty much black or white. It's it's the good and the bad. Baba actually means God in Sri Lanka, and choco from Germany. Those are pretty much the the, the Hearts Mountains are the fairy tale places. So yeah, so Lance is pretty much the Jesus figure figure. As I mentioned before, he's got the divine, he's got the dark and the light, and he has the fairy tales. So later he also helps bring someone back to life. Yeah. I don't feel like anything I say has any... Has any relevance at this yeah, point. Like, I just feel like I watched the movie and I looked at it, like the the uh, the technical like side of it. Quentin Tarantino like, was thinking this at this point. And then, um, yeah, like, I mean, it makes sense again. Well, like, that... that, that can make sense to an extent meaning like his his wife would be like that Mary Magdalene character like sacrificing her body like with her piercings yeah. like doing self harm to her body with her with her piercings and being proud of it cuz she has that whole that whole like minute or two of dialogue talking about how with with that other random girl like the disciple about her don't use the gun like you all my 18 piercings and she's going through the number of piercings i've done it i've done it all with the needle right and vince is like why would you get your your tongue pierced it's a sex thing Mm -hmm. like 
that's a very Magdalena. Yeah. yeah, I didn't put that one together, but yeah, that that actually kind of right. And then the other with the and theory. the other girl who's there is obviously just a disciple. Like she has no point other than just to be there and listen to the word. So yeah. if that's the point where he is the Jesus figure, the wife would be the Mary Magdalene character, and so you could route it that way. Makes sense in that point. Right. <clears throat> so early in when so. Uh, Vincent Vega pretty much comes back from Amsterdam. He said that he spent three years there. And three years, also in biblical references, is like the one who enters the promised land and regards their fruits until the third year. So this is that third year, and he can feast in abundance, and that's what he is doing. He's definitely indulging in all the his works, I guess, or his uh, his fun. And he, even though he had that warning of not get to not get too close to Mrs. Wallace, he's doing so. He's leaving things not secure. So he gives her his coat, which has the heroin in it that she snorts. Right before they were doing the twist, they definitely got themselves in a twist. Yeah, that won the twist off, and then they were dancing romantically in the house. He's giving himself the pep talk in the bathroom. He's like, you're going to go out there. You're going to say, I had a lovely night. You're going to drive home. going to jerk off and go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) If you guys were in his shoes in real life and you were being paid by this devilish guy like you you described marcellus wallace and he asked you to look over his wife and that situation came up to where you know you could feel a little something between you guys and then you come out and she's od'd and blood running out of her nose and stuff like that what would you do probably the same thing if i was getting drugs from a guy i would right definitely want somebody who can probably remedy that and what better person than jesus right <laughs> yeah hey. i yeah i'm in a scenario like that and not wanting Marcellus Wallace to, to know. I mean, I'm sure they have a doctor on retainer somewhere. So it could have been just as easy as like, hey, fix this. And it would have been a lot cleaner and a lot easier. But not wanting him to know, which probably saves your ass as well. I mean, that's just the thing with Tarantino's style and writing. Like, he puts you, the viewer, in the shoes of some of the characters. And it's uncomfortable, like... I mean, the whole thing of him, I, I think it's hilarious that that shot again when um, the drug dealer is like, don't come to my fucking house. And then he opens the front door and you just see the car the go across yeah. his lawn. Um, that was another one of those long, uncomfortable takes, too, yeah. where it just like the camera was on the dot. And it's just that long, uncomfortable, mm-hmm. like, yeah. like waiting for the stab to happen. But it's just like. Every second that ticks by is another, like, now, or now, or how about now, or now. Like, when is this going like countdown to happen? type of thing. And the right. cool thing with that scene, too, is they filmed that in reverse, the stabbing part of it. Oh, so because it was actually, actually pulling up. Yeah, oh. because the intense, intense of going to her chest type of thing. I thought that was just pretty smooth. The, that looked good. Yeah, I don't remember how many cuts it had. You might be able to, you know, but, like, the dialogue, the, 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 picking back and forth and stuff like where's the black book and why don't you keep it in the whatever like right. uh, let, let me bring it back a bit so you got lance it, lance is another name for spear and he's pretty much like the messenger kind of like the jesus figure so he was given vincent the three options to choose either positive neutral or negative and choco is the chocolate which is what he chose it's a dark and lance said that one of them would cost the more which which is the one that he's he picked uh, so he ended up choosing the dark fantasies. Uh, so he, like in desperate situations, Vega chose Lance, this Jesus guy, you know, kind of 
relative to to real life. But uh, so Lance was freaking out trying to find his book, which has the instructions for Mia's life. But in the end, they pretty much took it on faith. So as you saw, he was like, where's my black book? Where's my black book? And, you know, that whole scene of brilliant fucktardery. All of that is so believable. The, so the, organic, the severity yeah. of Travolta's character, you know, the rushing around, like you're you're pretty much trying to you're using the camera as an obstacle to showcase your severity. Right. And that's why I was talking about we were talking about the script earlier, like how can you act that? Like where there's a lot of that like huh dialogue where it's like how do you get a script where it's like that's the dialogue in it? Like, that's how I have to think. It's like, here's point A, here's point B, put it together. Right. But, and like, kind it's of, like, it's gold. Germany was mentioning, like, the filler of of character, um, what do you call it, building, All I right. guess, that Tarantino had. I mean, like, that definitely helps so you can know the character, know what they're going to do in that part. And, like, most right. times as the actor, it's pretty much left up to you to, you know, know the lines and know, like, parameters around where you may or may not go type of thing so i mean like you'll you'll, you will have questions but like it seems like everything was just so fleshed out right and that's one thing i i uh haven't i didn't get to find too many things of it but like i like watching and for this i'm gonna try to find more behind the scenes making of stuff like 1994 it was still you know yeah they they had people doing like behind the scenes making up things but everything i find about pulp fiction is really quick things and it doesn't leave the camera set for too long to like see like Tarantino back action and showing them filming something then yelling cut and whatnot. I would like to know with Tarantino like you know I'm assuming he's one of those directors where he lets the actors just go from the start of the scene to the end of the scene when the camera's there and just even if they mess up he lets them keep going because odds are he might actually use some of the stuff that they mess up. Like, I, I think he's one of those ones where he's not going to be nitpicking like, I didn't like that cut, cut, let's start over again. I think he'll let it go through. But I would like to know, like, how long it takes him to film a scene. Like, you know, he seems like he's a perfectionist that he's not going to settle for anything less. And so it's like, I wonder, you know, I know when you're at that stage and you have like a production company giving you money, time is money. Like you can't take your time with things, but right. I, I I wonder if he's one of those people where it's like, if it takes all day to get this one shot, damn it, we're gonna be here all day to do it. All right, yeah. that um, OD scene is extremely like fast paced, like fumbling. Um, I think that's urgent, probably whatever. That's I bet probably, you that was like, the hardest scene to film. I think so too, and that's the that's one of the ones that he kind of pinpointed on because of uh, mainly because he wanted to shoot that. He needed that one to be perfect. The um, right after that, he doesn't do many close-ups. Close-ups, unless it's strongly intended. And right after the OD scene, when Vincent Vega walks her back to her her crib, her house, her cradle. It's cradle because it rocks. Yeah, stop you know. it. <laughs> I was on board with you this uh-huh. whole episode until you said that. <laughs> no, she she said something along the lines of because he was trying to get you know kosher before he he left. They're like, are we cool here? Like, uh, yeah, you know, that. I'm in trouble. Yeah, How yeah. bad am I in trouble? But uh, he left. You know, she's like, I can keep a secret if you can type of thing. And she tells Vincent that. And Vincent asks to shake on it. But before, she said the only thing Antoine Rocamora touched was her hand when he shook her hand at the wedding. So I don't know. Or it's not strongly 
told, I guess, if was she keeping a secret with with Rakamura, with Antoine, the Samoan dude before he was thrown out the window into the glass garden little thing? Or if if shit didn't happen the way it did, if, if Butch didn't take out Vincent Vega, would Marcellus be throwing him off the roof? Well, there's a the next interaction that, that Vincent has with Mia yeah. is when when Vincent's making his beeline from the boxing match down to to where uh Marcellus Wallace is at the arena and he opens oh, the yeah, door yeah, and yeah. she's right there by the door and he does a quick you okay? Right. And she's like she she says something like along the lines I of I forgot to thank you for dinner. Yeah. Uh just like that quick yeah. like yep, drop it kind of a thing. For being husband and wife they they don't they've never they didn't say one word to each other. Um, I think they do on the balcony when she's like got the swimmer's cap on. Yeah, that's not her. Yeah, yeah that's her. Is it really? Yeah. yeah, that did not look like her. Right with that with that swimmer's cap sunglasses on. and the yeah. Hmm. I'm gonna. I just Jeez. fucking punch <laughs> my mouth. Hate the mic. Um, I'm gonna ask you this, Justin, because you're the one that's um looking for meanings and stuff in the when we do these reviews. In your opinion, what do you think the most important scene is? In Pulp Fiction, the most important, as far as setting up the story or telling the story, I would have to say the OD. No, well, not just. I can't pick just one. I think the last closing one with Samuel L. Jackson at the diner before uh, Vincent Vega comes back from the bathroom. I think that is a very important thing because it, like I said early on, like I think this movie is about redemption. And every most of all the characters have like their own redemption before their demise or so are seeing off. <clears throat> so either the OD scene or the closing diner scene. Yeah. What, Not the OD scene, the syringe scene or the closing diner scene. What do you think we don't really see, but where where do you think Jules is at today? Where do you think he went on? We know we know Vincent's fate, unfortunately. What do you think Jules? Towards the end, he kind of made mention of acting like, you know, Kwai Chang Kang from Kung Fu. And you can, oh, I think he just said Kane. But you can also refer that back to biblical Kane, where he said he wanted to pretty much just be a drifter and, and walk the earth. And he actually shows up in Kill Bill as kind of like the pianist drifter. So I think that might have been one of the places he that God set him. But... I think that using that biblical reference where God marked Cain, you know, he darkened his skin or marked him, you know, and being a black man, I guess, I mean, you can kind of use that reference. But, yeah, I think he would have cleaned up his act type of thing. Think he married kids? I don't know about kids. <laughs> I think he would have probably stayed on like a uh, a Godful path, okay. whatever. And where he ended up with at in Kill Bill was in a church, you know, playing the piano. Also, if you notice with uh, Jules Winfield, his drug of choice, which we see was, was caffeine, at the diner he, he only drank coffee, so he was awakened. Lonnie, I'm going to throw this question at you. Okay. Since you gave the lowest rating of this, what about this movie would you have changed to make it better? <laughs> Not would... necessarily better, to make it different? or. Uh, and the reason the movie got such a low score to me was... I think those continuity issues. I think you fix those issues, you fix the the score for me. So you think the story is perfect. I think the story is perfect. Yeah. I think the movie is fantastic. I think 
like I said, I it's my I'd probably have to say third now since I I rewatched it again and I remember how much I absolutely love Reservoir Dogs. Um my third favorite Quentin Tarantino movie, but you fix those issues that I complain about. And like I said, they're super nitpicky issues, but I have to watch it with the eye that I'm looking at it to try to find those nitpicky issues and tear them apart. You fix those three or four small issues and it's back up to a nine. It's, it's almost at Justin's 10 level because some of those dialogue parts, especially at the end where Samuel L. Jackson is uh, doing the the Bible verse to, to Tim Roth and finally putting it together. That's some of the most powerful dialogue, not only in Quentin Tarantino movies, but in in cinema. Yeah. Just the way he's delivering it. He said that, was it three times in the film? And on the third time, it chants new meaning. He's Yeah. yeah and that's what he's explaining. He's yeah. like, Correct. I used to think it meant this, or, or it was right. this and that, but... Yep. Having that divine intervention, pretty much. That's another thing I kind of want to revert back to biblical Cain. When he was marked by God, God pretty much made him invulnerable to his enemies. And when he was shot at and looked as if nothing, they didn't receive any bullets or whatever, that no harm was done to them. That kind of parallels with that. So if you're, if you're going biblical... I think most who, of this was who, relatively who, biblical. But. Which character would be Judas? Uh Probably Vincent. Vincent, yeah. He is doing the most... I wouldn't say Judas as in betraying Jesus. He's more like Judas as in betraying... Being the betrayer. So Probably betraying man most, like, yeah. with getting him into situations with, like, the, he, the Marvin. Bet- yeah, he's he eats the pork. Uh, as much as he might be a Judas, I would also say he's kind of an Abel, as Jules is Cain. Um the brothers Cain and Abel. Cain loves his animals, and Abel loves his plants. And oh, does he love his plants? He's taking he's taking out Mrs. Wallace. Yeah, and like he's not the trying bartenders to. mocking him, and without yeah, without any intention of his own, he is pretty much he's indulging. He's doing the stuff he probably shouldn't be doing. He's and if you notice that only bad shit happens when he goes to the bathroom. Yeah, I, yeah. I was going to mention how many times did it's like because heroin on the toilet in that movie. Heroin is one of those drugs that backs you up and that's his his drug of choice that's his vice you know that's pretty much his downfall right his indulgence is is yeah, pretty much he's that. the only drug addict in the movie yeah he well not only i would say he's Mia the only Wallace. he's the only well yeah he's the only one with an obvious drug problem yeah. and we we only know that he's because you said back backs you up we only know that he actually went Finished. once because flushing the toilet is what fucking ended his life yeah it's like he, when he's at the restaurant diner, he goes to the bathroom, comes out, and seeing the place is getting robbed. When he's in Butch's apartment, he goes to the bathroom, comes back, and boom, Butch got his 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 fun fun gun. I shouldn't say it like that. <laughs> and well, Butch has his love gun out. So uh, one of the the final thing that we would do here is the question that There's I asked a, Lonnie. There was a few more things I kind of wanted to talk talk on. Well, we got ten minutes, Bob. Oh. Boom. So Fabian, Bub. Fabian is pretty much the love interest of Butch, and Fabian pretty much means bean grower. She has all like these little cute food names, like lemon pie, jelly bean, um, and that's pretty much Butch's indulgence is she, her. She and doesn't want, listen very well. And she wants to be fat, not so much. Yeah, yeah. She, she wants, wants a pot belly. She wants a pot. And he is pretty much fed by her. 
literally orally like he he <laughs> yeah he so it. she is pretty much the metaphor of growth i would say and the purity and cleanliness because you know she has that habit of brushing her teeth and stuff um that motion my name is not brushing teeth my name is baby <laughs> but yeah um another thing i kind of wanted to revert back to is the esmeralda villalobos the way that she got this film was because of a short like a 30 minute short film called curdled I believe it was yeah curdled where she was assuming this or i think she was pretty much reprising her role in this as the taxi driver and there she was pretty much a fix it mrs fix it like she had this fascination of like death scenes so she would be called to come and clean up this place and she's like oh my god like whatever quentin tarantino did in, in 96 fund the feature length movie and she reprised her role there you would see at the end where the, uh, winston wolf, wolf comes in and his license plate says 3AM581 and you can use those you know like the 3 as an E the 5 as an S and the 8 as like two O's and it's kind of like an anagram of E8BMSOOL which could also be Esma Lobo so that's where you get the Lobo as in wolf <laughs> wow I <clears throat> alright yeah, no Mr. Wolf her and Christopher Walken, I think were amazing side characters that were highly necessary. But I think everybody was necessary in yeah, this movie. Great movie. I, one thing I will say uh, before we start wrapping it up here is, you guys play Grand Theft Auto much? Yeah. Never played it. Yeah. I loved it. Do you not think that that camera angle of Butch running up, sneaking up to his apartment to get the watch, looked like? It did the character like, in Grand Theft Auto yeah. when when he you're playing the character and how he moves and stuff looks dead on. But this is way before Grand Theft Auto, so I wonder if Grand Theft Auto took the idea, took that idea because it looked like a video game. But no, so the last segment that we would normally do here, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt. Son you. of a fuck, guys, <laughs> we have less. We have seven less minutes. minutes. Mine's easy. Mine's easy. I know we're talking about Pulp Fiction, but I'm gonna I'm gonna extend this to all Quentin Tarantino movies real quick. So, what is your guy's favorite line from a Quentin Tarantino movie of all time? Man. Like favorite Quentin Tarantino line? Motherfucker. You know, fuck was used 265 times in this movie. In this movie, <laughs> uh, mine's mine is from the movie Four Rooms, and I don't know why, but every time I hear this line, I almost piss myself laughing. It, it's so there's it's from four rooms the two little kids are destroying the room they find the dead hooker in the room it's covered in heroin needles the one little kid has stabbed him roth in the leg the curtains are burning uh antonio banderas has his drunk wife over his arm he kicks the door open and he looks and sees all the kids and everything's burning and his line is he he looks at them all as everything's and shanters and he goes did they misbehave? <laughs> and just something about that fucking line tickles me pink every time. Well, real quick, we actually have an audio clip of one of my favorite lines. It's actually Quentin Tarantino in Pulp Fiction when he's talking about the coffee. I know the coffee's good. I fucking buy the coffee. I just it's it's not relevant, but it's it's just play it. Shit. Me and Vincent would have been satisfied with some freeze dried tasters choice, right? <laughs> and he brings this serious gourmet shit on us. What flavor is this? Knock it off, Julie. What? I don't need you to tell me how fucking good my coffee is, okay? I'm the one who buys it. I know how good it is. 
Bonnie goes shopping, she buys shit. I buy the gourmet expensive stuff because when I drink it, I want to taste it. But you know what's on my mind right now? It ain't the coffee in my kitchen. It's the dead beep in my garage. <laughs> like if you He's talking about, he said the dead car in his garage. <laughs> if you want to know Quentin Tarantino and you took this way out of context, that sounds like the gayest dude I've ever met <laughs> in my life. Yeah. Uh, One thing I really liked about like well, the symbology and stuff like this in this movie is you like, can say symbolism like it is a word symbolism the symbology um so at the very end symbolize butch steals zed's chopper yep it's it says grace on it so he is slipping by on the seat of grace before he he closes out zed's dead it's mm. dead it's dead did you guys see the 1970s throwbacks when he was doing his uh weapon of choice type of thing <laughs> the hammer the baseball bat. Baseball bat from the Walking chainsaw. Tall, Chainsaw Massacre. He grabs the sword from the uh, Yakuza, which I think that Yakuza sword was supposed to be one of the ones that was supposed to be pawned by Bud back in Kill Bill, but the actual sword was in Bud's suitcase, so I'm assuming he might have pawned a sword at one point. Yeah. Hmm, this fucking guy. I know. What would, what would you so, change? <laughs> or, go ahead. Well, Big so, fucking so, brain so, on brain. We're, we're running out of time. I, I was What I was been trying to say for the last 10 minutes is... <laughs> What our last segment's going to be on this is where we're going to go around the table and we would tell what we would change about the movie, if anything, to make it better, whether that be a character not being there or adding a character or whatever we would do. Um, this is probably a bad one to pick because I don't think that there is anything I would change with this one. Um, you know, as we go on and we watch other people's picks and stuff like that, that'll change. But um, the only thing I would change is if they. He was, he was able to use the music he wanted to use. Well, and that, that was a topic that I was going to talk about was music, but it's very hard to talk about music uh, when you can't really play it because of uh, being flagged. But I will say he had some interesting choice music in this movie. Um, a lot of variety, and I think they fit very well, what, what he did use. But, um, but yeah, so... You know, like I said, we're going to be very strict with the time limit on this podcast. Uh, we're not going to go any less than an hour, no more than an hour and 20. I think we, once we wrap up here, there's some things we'll talk about. To, this is going to get better as time goes on. I think this is a good one. Uh, I've learned some interesting things. Mm -hmm. Can I pick the next one? Well, I'm just going to say that I have the next one picked out, and it's a Lonnie pick. Is it? Uh it's a movie that, let me see here. Let me pull it up. I have it on IMDb so I can get the year and stuff like that. So I'm assuming the one you're talking about is from 2019, The the Dead Don't Die. Yes. Okay. So we're going to be doing the uh, 2019 movie, The Dead Don't Die, starring Bill Murray and Adam Driver. That's going to be our next one that we uh, discuss here on the BPT movie review. Uh, and then it's not going to be as good as Pulp Fiction. Sorry, guys. <laughs> that'll make it fun. Almost. That'll make it fun. So We have to um, make it better. We do. It's fantastic. We do. So Is that the one you were going to say? I was going to either say that or Stand By Me. Well, we'll do The Dead Don't Die. I think that'll be interesting because I have not seen that one. It's, so I kind of want to watch one that I haven't seen. So. Boom. And then after that, we'll go back to me, and then we'll go back to you, and then you'll go back to me. <laughs> Sorry, Dustin. And then some Asian movie we'll have to sneak in. Oh. So, no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to yeah. watching different – this will be a way to broaden the whole uh, movie experience. Oh, you said broad. So, yeah, that's going to do it for 
episode one of BPT Movie Review. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed that. Hopefully you, I'm guaranteeing you from things that Justin pointed out, you learned something new and different about Pulp Fiction. But yeah, join us. You'll you'll hear us next Monday for our regular Boundless Pod Trap episode. And then after that, woo, geez, we wanted to scare you there. And then after that, every other week, we will do the BPT Movie Review. Um, so yeah, for Lonnie, Justin, I'm Jeremy. This is the BPT Movie Review. And take it away, Jim Carrey. Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. This concludes our broadcast day. Click.